Hello and welcome back to Getting Buff, the only podcast on the internet that exists solely so I can try desperately to get Shia LaBeouf to come to Claremont, New Hampshire and hang out with me. Um, today I'm joined by Alex Ferris, a local chef, who's going to talk to us about the mu- movie Fury, co-starring Brad Pitt, John Bernthal, Michael Pena, and Shia LaBeouf, the man of the hour. How are you today, Alex? Oh, I'm doing well, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me here. So, today we're going to break down the classic war drama that is Fury, um, and we're going to chat about it, and you can listen, um, and if you like it, then you can give me a call at 603-477-9443, give that number to Shia LaBeouf, but feel free to call as often as you'd like. So, would you like to start breaking down Fury? Uh, Yeah, so we'll take it from the top, I mean... Right off the bat, it has some pretty serious um, mental pictures from, like, the get-go, where they're just, like, they're coming back, there's a there's one of their people who's been blown away somehow, they don't really give the description, but... Um, missing his head. Missing his head. Well, yeah, you don't even know that until, like, it gets into another shocking part where they're like, okay, uh, we pull up to this new base... We've got, uh, a, we're going to have to get a new recruit because it's a tank of five and we got four now. So they get this new guy, literally fresh picked. Like he even says like, I'm trained to type, uh, 300 words a minute. Not He's like know. an office guy. Yeah. Yeah. So they pick him up and they're like, you know, what the hell? This, uh, this rookie is what you're going to give us. Might as well just like spit in your faces. And while they're moving through all that, the transition between each, like you wore sunken face uh is like this just brutal image you know at one point there's a woman who comes out from the uh from the medic bay and she just throws a bucket of blood like a whole bucket of blood like that's her job (laughs) is to just bring the blood outside of the of the base because it's so much blood and it's uh you know when they say world war ii was was the last of like the real bloody wars i mean i don't think they mean that violence has gone down by any means it's obviously like you know but the um the way that we conduct ourselves through war nowadays is more technology driven this was one of the last like face-to-face you see your enemy combat you know right no drones and probably um medically too i think that it's like improved in the sense that you know you're not just like well i guess we have to saw this leg off right now and just like catch the blood in a bucket yep and i mean that's I mean, when we talk about the uh, the real life events that went through during this, uh, that inspired this whole movie, there's a guy Lafayette G. Poole who is uh, played in the movie um, by uh, Brad Pitt. And they changed his name to Don Collier, uh, also known as War Daddy, um, and he's the actual guy that they like based this whole movie off of. And he actually lost a leg in his last battle. He, it wasn't the uh, the big whole bloody scene that they saw in the movie where everybody so dies. So he survives World he War II. He survives, loses a leg, nearly dies, but he gets back home in 1944. Um, if we want to get into his story real quick, I got a little excerpt yeah, on that. Yeah, let's talk about the man the movie's based on. Yeah, so Lafayette G. Poole, played by Brad Pitt, um, war daddy, was uh, born a Texan. He joined the army just a few months before the beginning of World War II. Um, and battled almost through till the end of it. So he saw a good amount of 
all of the American portion of the war. Yeah, in the film, he claims to have gone to Africa, Italy, and then Germany. Do you know that he... The uh, the reports I have say he definitely was in Germany. He definitely was in France. I don't have anything about Africa. But um, he went through about three to four. I couldn't get the, the magic number. Uh, Sherman tanks in his day. Um, and he commanded a, a force of three, which is pretty normal to the movie. He goes out with four... But they lose one really quickly. Right, right. Um, So he, uh, his first uh, crew lasted only a week in World War II. Uh, They were destroyed in Normandy. Um, The second uh, lasted about a month. Uh, The third, under a month. And that's the one that this movie is based off of. Um, During the course of his 81 days, he killed over a thousand Nazis, captured over 200, destroyed 12 um, Tiger tanks which is like a big deal because yeah. the Tiger tanks were literally um, anti-tank tanks. They were tanks that were built to destroy American tanks. So um, those were pretty badass. He um, destroyed 12 of those in his day, um, 250 armored vehicles, uh, but he did not unfortunately have a standoff against an entire battalion <laughs> yeah. with a broken <laughs> down tank. Battalion. Yeah. Makes for a good movie ending, though. <laughs> you gotta throw that Hollywood magic in there. Um, but going back to the opening scenes, there's like this one part where they they have a uh, just a depiction of a a mass grave with a bulldozer just like pushing American troops into this big big pit of like just death, you know, bodies on bodies. Yeah. So it's like really powerful images within even the first five minutes of this movie that are like going off. So they get, um, they get this new guy, uh, private Ellison, um, Norman Ellison played by Logan Learman. Um, as we said, he is the new recruit. They pull, they pull him out and, and they move on to, uh, their next task, like almost immediately. Don't even get any sleep, I don't think, right? Well, so the first thing is that they're, they really like kind of harass them and are like, this kid's a chump, like we don't care. And so the tank had just showed back up from a mission where one of their comrades had died, his head blown off. And they say, before we go anywhere, you go clean that up. So they send him into the tank with a mop and a bucket and a, he starts cleaning up the blood and then sees a photograph takes a photograph down and looks at it, gets a little emotional, and then immediately sees a section of the man's face sitting... I believe it's from eye to ear. Yeah. Just about that. About a quarter of his face just spread across the floor of the tank and then immediately gets out and just starts throwing up everywhere. And then shortly after that, yeah, they're on to the next one. Just keep on moving. Yeah, it's it's, uh, really pretty horrific, but... If you think about it, they they're on their last limb. Uh, Brad Pitt's character, War Daddy, says, "You know, I fought Nazis in Africa, I fought Nazis in France, and now I'm fighting Nazis in Germany." You know, we're getting closer to the end. So I see their why they have such aggression. You know. Yeah, they can see an end in sight finally mm-hmm. after all these years of fighting. Because this takes place in forty four or forty five. Uh, this one's April forty five. So that's the, the year, uh, that's the year, that's right when the war ended. Yeah, yeah. Hitler's going to shoot himself pretty this soon. This is pretty much how they depict the, this was the last battle of the war. This is what yeah, the okay, war, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, um, As we know, that's not exactly how it happened, but it, like we said, it makes it for good, uh, good movie. 
Um, so then Shia Buff, I like to also point out that the very first scene that we see of him, he's pissing in the tank into an ammo can. Yeah. <laughs> just standing up, pissing right now, like using his friend's shoulder as just like, you know, to show how close quarters they're actually in. Yeah, know, they're just, pretty used to each other at this yeah, point. <laughs> they're just pissing into an ammo can. So I thought that was a, a notable uh, Shia LaBeouf moment. He was also 26 when he filmed this. So, um, I mean, where were you when you were 26? You know, it's not like making hit movies with Brad pretty, Pitt. <laughs> pretty huge role to yeah. be like fulfilling at that point, you know? Well, and so that's a, something we've noted in other episodes about Shia's career, like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, 22 years old. Like, Indiana Jones is one of the biggest franchises ever, and here's a 22-year-old kid, like, becoming a main character. Uh, and it didn't really work out for him. He got fired, and he's not going to be the next one. But, yeah, I would say 26 years old doing a war epic with Brad Pitt and John Bernthal. Yeah, Pretty yeah. big career move. Michael Pena, I don't know if he was, like, huge at that at this point. I don't know if his, like, Marvel career had taken off, or... I don't think it had started yet. It was... But he was in the hit movie Observe and Report. Oh yeah, I do remember. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't he wasn't quite as funny as he was in Ant Man though with his retelling of the story, which is a pretty. I mean, if you don't know who he is, that's you know the guy who retells the story of Ant Man. Yeah. Um. So we got him covered. John Berthel, also known as he as a. Uh, uh, the Punisher. Ass. Oh yeah. <laughs> Coonass in the movie, yeah, which is a. Uh, Bit racy, yeah, and not particularly explained. No, no, <laughs> and and we also talked before they don't really necessarily use their war names all the time. No, yeah, it's really inconsistent. Um, so so we are at the uh, opening scenes where we have just gotten Private Ellison, and we're about to move out on our very first, uh, his very first mission. Now he tells um. Brad Pitt, uh, War Daddy, uh, that I'm trained to type 300 words per minute, not, you know, shoot a machine gun. And Brad Pitt just pretty much tells him, you know, here's the gun. Like, too bad. Yeah, like, this yeah, is yeah. the deal. And um, so he tells uh, John Berthel, he says, go over the gun with him. And he goes, okay, we open this, that's killing. You close it, that ain't. And that, you know, that's his <laughs> yeah. rundown of a weapon, you know. Yeah. So, um, that was pretty, you know, just to put that in perspective, I think he's supposed to be real young. He is, his character is real young. Gotta be like 18 at the yeah, most. Yeah, yeah. Just maybe, I don't know, I don't, they don't really give his explanations for joining, but um, definitely wasn't meant to be a tank man. No, or killing anyone at all. So, uh, um, But he's gonna new. learn the ropes. So he goes through and, and they, they just get headed out and they have a four, four or five man tank unit at this point. Um, four or five tanks that is in their unit and um, Norman Private Ellison sees a, a Nazi youth and he kind of freezes up and he's in the bushes and he can't he can't quite make it out but he can tell that it's a kid yeah someone running around yeah and he doesn't he doesn't say anything to anybody and then next thing you know one of the tanks just gets annihilated and uh, the guy that's burning, who's available to get out of the tank, jumps out and screams something, screams something, and then just kind of... Yeah, shoots himself right it. in the head. Ends it. Super rugged scene, like watching a man burn to death, and then he also manages to shoot himself. 
You know, you'd think you'd see like a, a guy dying at least one way would be bad enough, and he managed to knock two right out of the gate. Yeah, double death there. Yeah. So, um, you know, they they chop down all these uh, Nazi youth, and um, Ward Hattie gets out, and he gives him the what for. He's like, you look at that. You did that. You know, you're responsible for this. So, like, I mean, if you just took a moment to put that into your brain, you know, like, this is this is the type of movie we're about to watch, you know? Like, that is... They really set the scene in the yeah, first they, 20 minutes of this movie, you know? They wasted no time letting you know that it's going to be difficult, especially coming from the viewpoint of the, the new recruit, Norman, and just, like... Because, you know, most people watching this probably haven't ever been in war, so you're just like, oh, this can be, like, a fun, crazy movie shooting Nazis... And they make it as uncomfortable and as unfortunate as absolutely possible. A hundred percent. Um, so they get going out and the, and one thing that they keep saying to, uh, to Norman is, uh, do your job. So that was like, I always thought that was, you know, kind of funny. It's literally his job is just killing people. Do you think, so Norman obviously has some like druthers about, war and killing people do you think that you put in that situation could reconcile like killing nazis like man uh on their own soil too that's the other thing to think about yeah you've invaded their home it's not like it's at your house and somebody you know that's something i could do going over and fighting for somebody else i mean that's one thing that they had going for them in world war ii was there was a clear line between these are the good guys and these are the bad guys nowadays we don't really have that type of defined you know, uh, line there. Yeah, I would argue that really World War Two and maybe World War One um, are probably re- some of the only very, at least, if not only very few examples of this is the good guy and this is the bad guy and not some, like, weird American imperialism, like, going to Vietnam to get, like, natural resources and, yep. you know, going to Iraq and things like that where it's just like, oh, there's, these guys are killing millions of Jews, like, time to put it into that yeah yeah this probably i mean no matter how you look at it is a bad thing yeah so that i think that that is the only example of a war that i could overlook a moral obligation of murder and be like okay like if this is what we have to do to get this to end then this is what we have to do so yeah i, th- I think this is i think in that setting i could definitely pull the trigger but um I don't think there's ever going to be a setting like that again either, you know? I'd like to hope not. Yeah. Me as well. Um, So, So after the skirmish with the kid in the woods who's got the rocket launcher causing that tank to get blown up, they come into a field, and along the tree line are a bunch of soldiers hiding in the woods or hiding in little trenches that they had dug. Um, And so, and I thought it was really impressive how... These, like, anti-tank tanks are shooting at them, but sometimes it would, like, ricochet off. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know how, like, CGI, obviously, or whatever, but it looked so real, just, like, the ability that he had to get that stuff to, like, bounce off. So, in real life, I guess they did, because the armor on the front of a tank was, I think, for a Sherman, uh, over four inches thick, that happened pretty often. You know, they were built to withstand some attacks from the front. From the side, it would they. I mean, those bullets were meant to tear through a good amount of steel. Yeah. So from the side and from the back, as we find out later in the movie, um, very vulnerable. Yeah. So they're go- they're 
marching towards and like going towards the folks in the woods who are shooting at them. And eventually they're able to overcome them. It's I've, I was surprised at how nerve wracking that got, you know, when you're, they're just like, get like screaming at each other and like people are shooting at them. Yeah. Like yeah. They, you find that it's very having five people work together to, to have one machine go and do one thing, you know, becomes very, very difficult. And it does involve a lot of screaming and, and, Involves one commander, and that was War Daddy, obviously. Yeah, you got to have somebody to be calling the shots. Yep. Um, and clearly, pretty good at his job. But, yeah, um, yeah. So they're able to overcome uh, the Nazis hiding in the woods and do take one person captive. And it looks like some of the soldiers are about to shoot that dude or, like, mess him up. And uh, Brad Pitt says, like, hey, leave that dude alone. Like, stay right there. Get over here, Kraut. Yeah, Logan Lerman stays in the tank. And so Brad Pitt's like, get the hell out of the tank, come over here. So he tells him, like, look, you're going to have to kill people. Like, I can't have you on my team if you can't do your job, and your job is to shoot Nazis. So that's what we're going to do. He makes the Nazi get down on his knees and puts his revolver in Logan Lerman's hand and says, shoot him. And Brad Pitt, he, the two of them get in a scuffle. He's like, I'm not going to shoot him. I'm not shooting anybody. Um, Brad Pitt's like, it's he even you tells or... him, he even tells him to kill me. He's a kill me. Yeah. Kill me. He says, it's going to be you or him. So who's it going to be? And so the kid says, kill me, please kill me. Uh, cause I don't want to do it. And so ultimately Brad Pitt puts the gun in his hand and I'm pretty sure there's like a saying, it's like, Oh, no one put the gun in your hand and made you do it. You know what I mean? But he, in, in this instance, literally puts the gun in his hand and makes him pull the trigger yeah. and kills the Nazi. And he says, yeah, well, there, it's not like Logan it. isn't trying to, protest that he is literally fighting to the nail yeah. to try to get that gun <laughs> everything out of his hand. he can do to stop him and um but know, the eventually Nazi gets shot and now logan has uh or norman the character he's been um he's spoiled he's probably he might i don't think he's going to hell but uh no i mean there's definitely i mean i feel like you know a righteous i don't know if there's such a thing as a righteous it's about as close as you're gonna get to righteousness but yeah i mean the nazis were really fucking bad so Probably the worst. But now we've sort of broken this, um, you know, it's a huge plot point because we've broken the seal of purity. Yeah, it's like the Campbellian, like, uh, what the fuck? So it's Campbell's crossing the threshold. So we've crossed this first threshold of the this main character understanding like this is what it is and this is what we need to do um and so you might want to get good at it otherwise you're going to end up like the dude you just shot in the back also i think it is uh good to note that shia buff is seen during this whole scene just praying to an american soldier who is dying he's just kind of by his side and he says you know what i don't know if you're a praying man but you know i'm here with you and he starts giving him you know the lord's uh lord's prayer yep um, not four minutes before that, he's blasting this Nazi saying, fuck you, Nazi piece of shit, yeah. blasting him into 80 feet in the air and laughing his ass off about it, you know? So it's like the flip-flop of character between Shia becomes, um, very apparent. And I think that's the flip-flop between the, uh, just the fog of war, you know? Like when, when you're in that moment that adrenaline's going, you're a whole different animal. As soon as that's over, he's right there back to, you know, praying for his fellow man. I think... You know, much like folks who, like, go to A or whatever else, I think, like, probably oftentimes when you're in war and you're dealing with stuff like that, 
you do need to have a faith, whether it's, you know, Christian God or any other God or any higher power, you do probably need faith in higher power to like try and validate or understand better, like the choice that you're making and things like that. Otherwise you probably lose your mind, much like a lot of those folks unfortunately do. Totally. Totally. So I think the next thing is that they mosey on to that town. Oh, the town scene is very, very influential. And I think it's also notable to say that this is a war movie and to have a scene like this in the movie is like um, pretty, um, I don't know, just uh, uh, different. Just uh, It's on a whole different level of war movies, you know? Oh, and I, before we get to the town, I think it's important to mention that those folks, so the guys in the tank are driving to that town and they're on a road, some kind of dirt road, and there are people leaving the town with all of their belongings and you find out that Brad Pitt's character speaks German, so he's telling them, move along, keep your hands up. You see a surrendered Nazi soldier with a, a white flag. And then eventually you see a young girl walking a bicycle. Um, and the young, the, the new recruit makes eyes at her, you know, and, and uh, is like staring at her. And then John Bernthal's character, a coon ass, looks at him and says, you know, she'll fuck you for a chocolate bar. And so, you know, him being a young person and new to this situation, you know, obviously it's just like, I don't believe that you're being an asshole. And then the rest of them are like, you want to bet you she'll do it for cigarettes. You don't even have yeah. to give her the whole pack. You can just give her four or so. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just a completely different, like, you know, he's already had to deal with the fact that like, okay, now I'm going to war and now I have to kill somebody. And then just this whole other really like unfortunate and ter like terrible, ugly side of what he's engaging in. Yeah. And I think ultimately this movie is about the progression of something like this. You know, the, the, the effect that this has on somebody who's literally just there to type some stories about it, you know? Yeah. Oh, that weighs on the psyche. Mm -hmm. So then they do make it to town. Um, they get in another battle. Because when they do arrive to town, uh, there's like a sniper shooting at them. But they make pretty quick work of those dudes because they just blast that building and yeah, blow they up just the like of it. open it up like a can of sardines yeah. and then like hit it with their fucking machine guns. Yeah. So that's like they're like, what idiots, you know? And so the, the Nazi soldiers must be pretty used to this because they're like, keep your eyes up on the rooftops. We got to watch out for more snipers. And then sure enough, there's a dude in a basement who just lights up a couple of the guys. One of his legs gets ripped off. The other one just dies immediately. Yep. And so then they have to blow that guy up. Um, but after a little while, after a little bit of a battle, they manage to uh, make it the to town. the rendezvous point. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So they get to the uh, rendezvous point and they meet up with another um, war-hardened commander who is, um, you know, asking, "Oh, it's you know, it's war, daddy." So we all, we get this um, this um, foreshadow that he is, you know, already a seasoned veteran. He's already been to these, you know, unique places. He's been from at the war from the start. You know, yada yada. He's made yada. a name for himself. Yeah, yeah. This this guy already knows him before he shows up. And he goes, uh, how many tanks you got? And he goes, uh, five at this point. And then um, he goes, God damn it, I asked for ten, you know. And that was real life, you know. That's how outgunned and how outnumbered we were in this war. And it shows how, you know, little support we could afford to give uh, yeah. our troops in Germany, you know. Absolutely. Um, 
So the um, the city is obviously pretty war torn. We can see from the people's faces, and um, the new recruit, Private Ellison, looks up into this window and he sees this um, young blonde. And War Daddy looks up at the window as well and yells to him like, "Let's go! Like, we're gonna go check this out." And ultimately, I thought that there was going to be some shit like, okay, they're hiding some kind of Nazi. They're doing something and they're about to blow this place up. Cause this is a war movie. Right. And as did it appeared Brad Pitt. Cause he's saying he got, they get in there and it's just one, one woman. And so it's Brad Pitt and the new recruit and they've got their guns and they're like, who else is in here? Who's hiding in here? Show us. Finally, they find out that it's that woman's cousin, another young lady who's hiding under the bed. They pull her out. And, uh, now, is she a Jewish refugee? Is that why she was hiding? Or did they want to explain it? I think so. I think they were just scared of the American soldiers because if you were, uh, like, an undesirable, as they called them, um, you'd probably do a bit better of a job hiding than just, like, under, under a the bed. bed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what the part where, you know, they don't go in and shoot everybody and there's another 20 Nazis hiding in the building starts to lean more towards this um, different type of movie where it almost you feel like for a minute you're watching a love story. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's really, really interesting because right off the bat, the youngest recruit, Norman, um, you can tell he's got, he's got, without even speaking the language, he's got some kind of There's a bit of a connection. Yeah, yeah, he's smitten with her. And she as well. And so they're talking, and all of a sudden, Brad Pitt takes off his shirt, and she gets horny as fuck. Like, you can <laughs> tell. She is just like, she sees Pitt, she looks at this young, scrawny guy. Well, and Brad Pitt's back is, like, burnt to hell. Well, yeah, she doesn't see that until they go into, like, the bedroom, though. But he looks up at the at the kid, and he goes, you better take her in that bedroom before I do. Yeah, and it's like he says she's like a good clean girl or something yeah, like that. She's a good clean girl. Oh, that's bring her in that bedroom. And then and the and those guys in that army troop have made a point to be like, this is what we do. Like it shows, um, like Shia and Bernthal and uh, Michael like take taking a woman and putting her in the tank with them so that they can essentially take turns having sex with her. Oh yeah. Um, and also Brad Pitt and. Uh, the new recruit Norman make a point or is particularly Brad Pitt makes a point to be kind to those two women. He gives them some eggs, some cigarettes. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering also where the fuck did those eggs just come from? He's like in a tank that just got fucking shot at shit's blasting all around. And he just pulls a fucking backpack out six of the most perfect looking fresh eggs that I've ever seen. Eggs definitely seem like an odd choice for travel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it was definitely a director directorial um, choice to be like the egg. The egg is obviously like super representative. Is that the word? Represent- rep- Representational. It's it's for life, you know. It is like a, a Salvador Dali used that in all of his paintings because not all of them, but most of them because he you know it was so representative for for fertility and life and things like that. So it's like a that's very a, interesting choice of of food, I think. I I would definitely agree and now that you've brought that up, 
It's not something I had considered. I just assumed because they're probably near so many farms, it would be an easy thing to grab. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, even, like, the way that they end up eating it, um, with, like, Shia taking his all-in-one bite and, like, um, Brad Pitt taking his time and, like, slowly and enjoying you, it. Yeah, and then, so, during their... So, these the, the two lovebirds, they go into the back room. They, have, they do their thing. And um, there's a moment where they're talking, and then they come back out and... And um, the other woman there has made these eggs and they kind of have a sit down at the table and Brad Pitt's all cleaned up and he's shaved up and he's looking good. And um, all of a sudden you hear the riffraff coming up. And so the way I also looked at this movie was like, okay, we have the good in this room. We have the two good characters, the two characters who are, are what we have referred to throughout this is like the pure characters. And now we're about to have the bad and ugly, you know? And so you can hear him coming up the stairs like a, like a, rowdy group of kids you know just like boom 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 boom, slam slam and they pile through and um you know the woman sets the table and john berthel's character is giving the giving the girl a hard time and uh well they come up too because they're essentially like hey new kid it's your turn to have sex with the lady in the tank yeah yeah i forgot about that and then they're like oh i think he's all set because he's like they can tell he's like smitten with the young lady and for whatever reason, John Bernthal's character takes issue with that and wants him to feel like as uncomfortable as possible. And it's just like, great, now it's our turn. You did it, now we get to do it. And obviously, like, the kid takes issue with that. But it is like the, uh, you know, the p- more pure characters versus like these more conflicted characters is an interesting point because I think that Brad Pitt wants to be more like the younger kid, but has just spent so much time being this other person that, you know, he's definitely, he's obviously conflicted, but it does come across when, um, like John Bernthal and Shia and Michael start to be pretty awful to them for kind of no reason. And then, um, Brad Pitt tells Bernthal, I'll kick you in the teeth if you mess with her food or touch that girl in any way. If he t- yeah, he doesn't say mess with the food because he does mess with the food. Like yeah, he, says, he says, you don't, you don't lay a finger on her. You don't touch her. And so he, he, co- he takes that opportunity to defy his commander and he goes and he grabs her egg and he licks the whole side of it and slaps it back on the plate and looks at him and says, see, I didn't touch her. And no. at that point, I also got another um, kind of deeper meaning to the whole stories here. And it's it became kind of a uh, um, a different movie to me where it's like I saw War Daddy, um, Brad Pitt as like this father figure, and he totally um, has you know the the problem child which is John Berthal the young one that is um, you know just learning and he hopes for the best and that's Logan's character and he's got the two middle children in Shia Buff and. Um, Michael Pina that are, um, you know, they have, have their own way and they kind of got, uh, like the Bible, uh, Bible Shia Buff is the do-gooder, you know, he's the Bible thumper, Gordo being the follower, you know, there's always one of the kids who just kind of follows along with the crowd. And they both do kind of, to a degree, follow Bernthal's like bad influence. And like what I think Michael brings up, like, you are going to eat this food without us. 
And then Shia starts to be like, yeah, you were like, answer the question. And so once Bernthal's like set this precedent of like, we're going to defy war daddy, even though, you know, we've gone through all this stuff with him. Like now that this is happening, they sort of join in on like the attack. And it's the bad one pushing his limits and you know, yeah. the followers going at it too. And they're, and they're just following their big brother and doing whatever he says. And it's not till, um, Gordo who is like, we, we, you know, this is why we're like this. He gives him a little bit of a story that we we went uh, the day after D-Day, is what he says. We were on um, Normandy the day after D-Day. And the one thing I remember is all the dead horses. There's just a sea of dead horses. Yeah, because they had to shoot all the and horses had, yeah, that were and, wounded. Yeah, and so they talk about because people were hiding in the in the, bo- the bodies were hiding in the horses or whatever, that they just had to light them up. And he's like, you don't know what it's like, you know, to just shoot the dead horse and just shoot it for days and days and days. And he kind of has this look in his eye where he's just, you can tell he's, he's going through it in his head. And then finally war daddy's just like, okay, enough. Like we're out of here, you know? Well, it's also a dig at uh, Logan's character, Norman, because he starts to chime in. And it's like, you're not touching that girl. And they're like, Oh, you think you're a man now? Cause you had sex. Like you're a little bitch. And then, so he's telling that story to be like, you better know your place. Like, you don't. You haven't been through what we've been through. Mm-hmm. You're not going to tell us what to do. It's also notable that Brad Pitt takes that licked egg and eats it and hands the girl his own egg. Yeah, yeah. He sacrifices like uh, sanitary conditions. Yeah. And for, John Berthel's teeth sake. are fucked. Yeah, in that movie. they're super bad. He's like he looks like um, uh, Rudy Giuliani did when he had that 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 press conference the other day. Did you see where his hair was like leaking oh, down like the side of his face? Down, yeah. yeah. He had all that oil dripping down him all the time. <laughs> and like, you know, he just like, I yeah, wouldn't want to eat an egg after that guy. Dude. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, you know, that's also pretty notable, but they, um, you know, that whole scene is pretty intense, you know, and it's not intense in the way that the last scene was where there's bodies flying and bullets going and, you know, in insanity, it's, it's a whole nother level of internal, um, chaos and internal battles internal struggles that's all going on inside the tank that we don't see while they're in there you know and i think that the correlation of family that you mentioned earlier with you know brad pitt being the dad i think is a really good analogy because with this scene with them interacting with these people it shows that they're not always on the same page but at the end of the day and at the end of the movie like those guys are family and they've got each other's backs and like when it comes down to it like you know, because as we find at the end of the movie, and I don't get too much into it now, but it becomes a do or die situation that not everyone had to join and they choose to because like that they, you know, they're not going to give up on each other. So even though they do fight, those guys are still very much a family. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, so they kind of all just collect themselves and they go back down to the to the uh, tank. And I think they're I think they're. I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but all of a sudden they hear the whistles of, of mortars coming in. So everybody, you know, get the fuck down. Everybody takes shelter and, and boom, 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 the bombs go. And Logan's character peeks his head out after, you know, the rubble's starting to clear. And he sees that the building he was just in is fucking annihilated. He runs towards the building and who's the first person he sees is that blonde right, chick. the only person. is Yeah, yeah, I mean, but she's clearly just like dead in this rubble and he's trying to pull her out and John Berthold just grabs him and he says, get the fuck over here, what are you, like how stupid are you, who are you, Jesus? You know, and he's smacking yeah. him in the head and he's like, let's fucking go, that's war, you know? Well, and the reason that they leave that house too is like, oh, it's time to go and 
Norman's asking like the young lady who he had just like probably lost his virginity to like, Oh, do you have a pen? Like I'll write you like, you know, trying to like hang on to some sort of relationship with this girl. And Bernthal just grabs him and is like, let's go. What are you doing? We yeah, don't have time for this. Marry her? Yeah. 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 He does say you're going to marry her and then pushes him out the door. Um, so it's another example of that kid just not having really a choice in the matter. And for the rest of the movie, but uh, so then they do go outside, and that building doesn't get blown up, and she does die. So, aside from the killing he's had to do, aside from the uh, like disgusting, horrible things that he's seen, he's now like in the shortest amount of time humanly possible, fallen in love with this girl, and then watched her die immediately. And this has all happened over the course of like maybe three days. I don't even know if we could acknowledge the number of days. I couldn't even say if it was one day. Yeah, true. I guess the travel and everything, they don't really touch base on that because it's Yeah, you're not, you're not seeing stuff. him sleeping or whatever. Yep. So, I mean, but I would definitely, definitely suggest that based on everything you see, it's like, it's not over six months or something. This Very is happening short. in like a week tops, like Very the whole movie. Time. And going back to the um, real life inspired events, all those, uh, you know, the thousand Nazi kills, the two hundred that are um, captured, the twelve tanks, and two hundred and fifty armored vehicles that were destroyed. That was all over the course of eighty-one days. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's they like did that, less than three months. That crew did work, and that so they had three different tanks. Which I also wonder, like, how do you leave a tank? Like, how does your fucking tank blow up? And then you're like, all right, like, everybody get back out. now, you know, yeah. like. I mean, they're probably getting picked up by trucks. And I do wonder about that because, you know, I mean, we haven't seen a war on American soil since the Civil War. But more of these modern wars, like, I wonder if you can walk through, like, you know, more rural communities in Germany and there's just, like, still, like, tanks sitting there that, like, they haven't had the time or money. Yeah, just, like, yeah, I guess that's there now. Because, I mean, the same thing with uh, mines in a lot of countries. Like, there will just be minefields that people... You know, now we'll go and, like, try and clean that stuff up, but that just sat there forever because they were, The like, only thing of... stopping you from going there is, like, a picket sign. And it's yeah. Like, like, hey, don't walk over here. <laughs> um, um, all right, so they move on, and they go, and they get another mission almost immediately, and you see, like, they, they're just rapid-firing, getting sent to different places, sent on different missions. No time to rest. Sent to support, you know, other people. So they get, um, they get heading on their way, and I think it's... Uh, three or four tanks at this point that they take off yeah, with. Yeah, that sounds right. And um, so they're heading out, and the um, all of a sudden, the uh, like literally out of nowhere, they get blindsided by this... Oh, no, it is four tanks. One of them gets blindsided and blown up immediately. And then they look to the left, and it's the Tiger tank, the German anti-tank tank. Oh, right. It, it blasted 55-millimeter shells at incredible velocities that exploded in different sections so that it would pierce through armor almost effortlessly. Yeah, because that doesn't... Isn't that the one that cuts right through the front of the tank? Yeah. Like the most secure If you part? get hit, it gets hit. There's only a very few... And they and the Fury tank actually gets hit with one of them, but it deflects and ricochets off to the side. Yeah, like hits is, the side or the corner of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a very rare angle that these deflect. Um, so they blast that one... Um, they all turn to the side and they kind of back up. They throw their smoke grenades to kind of like get repositioned. And then they decide to just like ride of the Valkyrie, like 
go for it and yeah. take off. And like uh, Brad Pitt's like directing all these people, you know, you go this way, you go that way. One by one, they're just all getting taken out by this fucking tank. That's like so scary. It's like literally the boogeyman of tanks, yeah. you know, it's the last <laughs> thing that you want to see. Um, and so the guy to the left of him, he's sticking his, his, like half of his body is out of the tank. And one of those, um, 50 millimeter shells just clears him, boom, right off. like yeah. gone. And you're just like, holy cow, like <laughs> that's intense, you know? And so Brad Pitt is talking to all these other guys. They have an intercom system on their tank. Um, and I, and that reminded me that earlier on when they start killing people, um, Norman starts the new recruit starts just freaking out and punching the side of the tank being like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And Brad Pitt just leans down and says, shut the intercom off. You're going to keep crying like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So he uses that intercom system to talk to people, but there's probably, there probably wasn't a tank in world war two that didn't have at least one guy screaming that after like, a battle like that. Especially but, in his situation, where, yeah. like we've talked about, where he is very, very green. Yeah, as green as he can be. And so there's, so they're battling this tiger tank and trying to skirt around it because from what I understand based on the dialogue that uh, if you can get behind it, then you have a much better chance of destroying it. one weak point and that's kind of at, uh, at the back, you know, dead center of the back or yeah. whatever, you know. They have to put a pretty accurate shot in it because Shia, who's the main gunner, um, ends up hitting the tank, I think three times total. And then finally that last blast puts it out of commission. And they, um, the people who are, um, the Germans in the tank, you know, a lot of them pop out. And, uh, that's the first time that you see Logan light him up. And yeah, he he's just, going for and it. he just fucking shoots the shit out of him. And you're finally like, okay, he's got it. Like, he's, yeah, we're in now. He's, <laughs> we're he's, doing he's it. um, he's had some loss. He's had some pro story progression. He's, seen what it takes to keep his people alive. He's lost enough of them at this point that he's willing to pull that trigger and defend his country now, which is pretty insane. That's the first, first time that you really see. And I think he even screams like, fuck you, Nazi pieces of shit. Like, yeah, he's like, you. I don't know if it's this time or another time, but he's like, at one point, it's like, you better fucking run while he's like blasting these dudes. But yeah, I mean, that character development is interesting and really well done because or in my opinion, I don't know if it's real, done. but, uh, I like, it doesn't, it doesn't always come through with dialogue. It, it's like the masterful cinematography of like them, you're watching this happen to him and it really puts you in that scene. So it doesn't, he doesn't have to say, you know, like, Oh, I'm so mad that they killed my girlfriend or, you know, whatever else that, yeah. that, that drove him to this point. They, you know, they just do a really good job because otherwise it could have just been like a book or something, you know, so they do a really good job of showing you what it is that's bringing him to this point. And then the, um, after they finally blow that up, they all, you know, have their signature quote of, you know, best job I ever had. And they all, you know, repeat that over and over. Best fucking job I've ever had. Yeah. And they're just so thankful to be fucking alive at that point. And they're the only ones left Yeah, out of the, out of the four tanks. It was five when they left the base, became four, became three, became two, became just them. And that's it. And so the guys kind of look up at, at War Daddy and they're like, all right, well, what the fuck do we do now? And he says, what do you mean? We, we continue on with our mission. And these guys kind of all look at each other like, this is fucking suicide at this point. Yeah. And that's where the story really, really um, begins to form ahead and also form an end, as we find. Um, 
so they're going and they're they're moving along. They're uh, um, I think what's uh, War Daddy says, you know, the job's never done. They never rest. Um, so we never rest, you know. So we mm-hmm. like we kind of keep going. Um, they get to um, they uh get to uh like I guess it's a little farmstead. And they yeah, get- it's a crossroads, and there's like a, a small building to the left. Looks like a farm, um, and they're probably getting closer and closer to what I assume the German capital. But yeah, they've they've come to a crossroads, and it's just pretty open field, mm-hmm. some shrubs, some trees, stuff like that. But it's mostly you can see pretty far around you. Uh, we're in the daytime, and they happen to hit a uh, a landmine, which causes their track to go off. And um, John Berthold's character is the the mechanist. So he's like, yeah, I can fucking fix it. Like, it's just going to take a bit. So they send Norman up, Private Norman, the new recruit, up to uh, to kind of scout the area. And he, he takes some stuff and little supplies to, you know, be up there for a while, expecting that nothing's going to happen. And um, almost instantly he hears, you know, the singing and chanting of SS. Um, he gives a quick scout and sees that it's... Uh, large number of people he can't yeah, say like he, two to three hundred yeah people. he says he can't count it and he gets back and he but he gets um war daddy the information war daddy says oh that's a fucking battalion he can tell by you know they're singing they're doing this they got yeah because he assumed at first that they were just like a bunch of stragglers like who weren't with it and then when he tells them they're singing how many he's like oh that's an ss battalion the other thing the only other thing i did want to mention is uh, i did it did register me like when they were like oh Bernthal or Kuna asks, you gotta, you gotta fix this. And he's like, yeah, probably ought to, or says some like snide remark, but it's like, yeah, he's like, you gotta fix. He's like, I fucking guess I can or whatever, you know? And so it just struck me as like, I wonder how many times people ran into that scenario and none of them really knew shit about fixing a tank. Like, you know, fucked you'd be if you're just like, well, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I mean, at the, because of their situation, they, they were in that, that, uh, you know, I don't, there's nothing I can do at this point. We don't have any time to fix the fucking tank. And also going back a little bit further, they, they scout the, um, the one building that's at the crossroads and it happens to be Norman and John Berthal's character, Kunas. And, um, they kind of have a heart to heart and he goes, you know, we're fucking family here. He goes, you're our family too. Like, you know, and it's your first shade of, um, good guy that you see in Kunas's Yeah, character. yeah, he's because like... Because for this whole time, you're like... just a monster. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I could... this. We could do without this guy. If he gets taken out next, like, I ain't gonna be that mad. Yeah. But now you're like, okay, I can fucking relate with this guy. He's just war-hardened. He's yeah. just He's just seen so much fucking shit, and he's ready for it to be over, you yeah. know? Um, so, f- sorry for that rewind. No. Go- going forward, <laughs> um... They all have this sit down and they and they all decide, you know, oh, we're going to rush to the trees. We're going to get out of here. We're going to. And then. Um, War Daddy, Brad Pitt's character, says, you know, you guys go ahead. I'm holding this fucking tank. This is my home. Like, I'm I'm not leaving my home. Yeah, this is what I'm here to do. Like, yeah. I'm going to fight these guys. This is my fucking job. He says, you guys go and get out of here. I, I'm like, you're not shaming your country or anything. But this is what I have to do, and I'm going to do it. And another pivotal moment, um, Private Ellison, Norman, the new recruit, is the first to say, I'll be here too. I'm going to I'm gonna do it. Um, 
right with you. I'm not leaving you behind, yeah. And kind of inspires the other guys to to jump on board. Yeah, because at first they're definitely like, you're an idiot. We need to leave. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that father figure in him saying, you know, this is what, we, what we're here to do. This is what we got to do. And, and, you know, he obviously wants the best for his quote-unquote kids, but um, they have a job to do. So he's inspired by them. They're inspired by him. They all get down into the... Uh, the tank for a last little drink of scotch and they kind of pass a uh, thing around. Yeah. The Brad Pitt says you might as well drink cause you're not going to be around for the hangover. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, to think about there. So they, they pass that around. Um, and then they start to hear the, uh, the sound of Nazi troops. Um, they also share a couple of Bible verses and it's the first time that Shia Buff's character, um, he's a, he says the, the Bible verse. Oh, um, is it Isaiah chapter 6? Yeah, I have it here somewhere. But then um, Brad Pitt's character is like, oh, that's, you know, he, he quotes the, the, the end of it. And they're like, oh, shit, like, he's a, he's a Bible man, too. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a cool little nod, I thought. Well, oh, here it is. Uh, them just relating to each other just a little bit more. Yeah, then I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall go for us? And I, and I say, send me. And uh, then they end up christening him the machine. Um, that's Norman's character. Yeah, the new, the new recruit. They, he gets his own nickname. He finally gets his war name. Yeah. He's not just Norman. Yeah. <laughs> Such a lame-ass name. Unless so we have viewers named Norman. Hey, yeah, if you're listening, your name's Norman, you're cool. Yeah. We're just goofing. It's more of a middle name, but... I like uh, that movie Paranorman. You ever watch? <laughs> you ever watch that? Paranorman. Um, I'm guess I'm gonna guess it's a middle-aged guy develops paranormal powers. No, it's a kid. Oh, yeah. uh, it's like a stop-motion animation movie where he can see ghosts, but it's pretty good. And then uh, you know Norman Lear. Mm, no, he made a ton of really popular television shows in the '50s and '60s. Like you ever watch All in the Family? Yeah, yeah. Or, Norman Lear made that show. Yeah, so there's a couple of good Normans. Not to Norman world. out there. Yeah, right? hey, all you Normans. I knew. I it. had a customer named Norman, and he was a he was a uh, Air Force veteran in uh, one of the Great Wars. Pretty he good guy. He was a guy. really fucking cool dude. Yeah, he used to still order up the menu and down the menu. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, so every day he came in, he'd be like, all right, he had the burger yesterday, so he's going to get like this today, you know? So that was pretty cool. He was a good guy. I respect that. Rest in peace, Norman. R.I.P. Norman. I take back what I say about Norman. <laughs> but they give him a cool ass name like War Machine, you know, like that's that's definitely a progressive step in the right direction. Yeah, he's, it's a tough name. Uh, clearly, they're respecting him quite a bit more. Um, so they hear the battalion and they're like, all right, let's fucking bunker down and get ready. They get as much ammo as they can fit in there and, and they're ready to go. Uh, this is the middle of the day. And then all of a sudden, like, they shoot, like, five shells, and it's fucking midnight all of a sudden, and everything is on fire. I was like, that is a very intense They do lure, <clears throat> They do manage to lure um, the... Well, they're in there drinking for a bit, and they lure those Nazis by. They find a dead Nazi nearby, pop him up onto the front of the tank, and then light his body on fire. To try and make it look like there's, you know, this tank's been in battle and there's probably not anyone in it at this point, and the tracks all messed up, and so they let those Nazis get like 
literally on top of the tank before they start like blowing them up. Yeah, they throw. They just throw a bunch of hand. The one guy opens, and uh, Brad Pitt's character, boom, headshot, just destroys him. And then uh, simultaneously, they all open their hatches and throw grenades out. Yeah. But like, so Shia Buff is the main gunner, and he's like loading shell after shell after shell. But I mean, movie wise, it doesn't take him very long to load five shells, and the scene changes from middle of the day to burnt city night smoke everywhere like the mo like no visibility at a all. nuke went off yeah it's fucking crazy <laughs> i'm like okay well i see like the dramatic effect there like that's really cool well also i mean i don't know what time of year it was i'm sure it's cold they're all wearing jackets but it was know, april you know, was it april oh, it yeah. was april in germany yeah does it get dark in april <laughs> pretty early is there a time change it's spring ahead no so it's like they got extra light Maybe it's different in yeah, Germany. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. different in I'll Germany. Have to look the toilets flush the other way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they they're blasting, they're blasting, and and they're pretty low on ammo at this point. And so, um, they open up the hatch, and Kunas uh, opens up to to a spot, and he ends up like blasting away a couple dudes. And then Brad Pitt's character is eventually able to like come up the top hatch, and he just Rambo fucking kills like. Six dudes in a row. Yeah, they, like, you know, as they're running out of ammo, they're definitely, they're not running out of ammo for no reason. They're killing Nazis. Yeah, they're taking those dudes out. They show that aerial view at one point, and it's just inches thick of shells and bodies. And it's, like, it's a really cool scene because, you know, you just, you it takes you a moment to put it in perspective of, like, how well prepared these guys were to, to do what they had to do. Um... So they're blasting. At one point, Brad Pitt throws his gun at somebody and then, like, beats the shit out of him. And then he gets back in with a bunch more ammo and a guy opens up the hatch and he fucking slow knife stabs him. Well, he gets shot, too, right oh, through yeah, the he arm. Does take, he does yeah. take one bullet at so that point. Yeah, they're battling it out and he's trying to shoot him with the revolver, but he can't. So then he just stabs him in the neck. Yeah, slow slow stab, not, yeah. like, jab. It's, like, Yeah, it's just... Just like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he tosses his body back out the thing. Yeah. Also, did you catch that romantic look that Shia gave him after that scene happened? Yes. There is like a serious, like, just dead stare of romance. Well, because then he, like, cleans his bullet wound in his arm or Yeah, whatever. yeah, and they're, like, talking, like, su- sultry into each other's ears. It gets interesting. You, I mean, there's probably some fan fiction out there that we could look into. Yeah, probably for another episode. Real but romance story. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's some Shia LaBeouf fan fiction, I'm happy to talk about it on the show. That'll be a nice one. Um, pretty close. Uh, after that, they're talking about the Bible. Um, Kunas jumps up to say something and takes a fucking RPG through the chest, dead. Oh, because it comes so the. They run up. So one of the, the Nazis, Nazis are getting pissed. Yeah, they run up on the side of the tank and shoot an RPG through the tank. So it shoots through the tank and right through Bernthal's body. Because and if he's you know about an RPG, the 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 modern RPGs have like a real flame um, aspect to them. So they will go through an armor and then kind of explode. The way that they they portray this type of an RPG, and I don't know if it's like a specific if it, that's because it was World War II and they were a little bit different. But this one just pierces right through the the um, tank and just directly kills one person in the tank, which is kind of a interesting. Well, a lot of them, I guess I'd have to rewatch the movie for this particular 
aspect because most of the 99% of the time, the one time Burnthal dies being the exception, once the RPG went through the armor of the tank, the entire inside of the tank was on fire. Fireworks, explosion, like boom, boom, boom. So I thought that was just an interesting note that only one of them died from the RPG. Yeah, maybe was it was like a dud special. RPG. Yeah, that was a dud. Yeah. <laughs> um, those Nazi RPGs are just bottom shelf. Yeah, I mean, everything else they did is technology. It <laughs> was like top of the line, but they're like, yeah, we got to cut some corners somewhere. Yeah. We'll get the RPGs that don't blow up. We'll get the fucking wish at RPGs. So um, then comes time for Shia Buff's uh, Rambo moment. Yeah, because now he's run out of ammo. They also, uh, on the internal, run out of ammo. So um, they have to make a couple of points. And I think they actually, they've run out of what whatever, the 9mm or whatever it might be. And he has to grab an army, uh, a, a, a Nazi weapon yeah, off he the ground, hops, right? He jumps right out of that tank and onto the ground and is running, like, scurrying around trying to find a gun. And when he does finally find a gun, the guy who he thought was dead on the ground was not dead on the ground. False dead body. Yeah, and attacks him. And if my memory serves, I don't even think he ends up with a gun. Because he battle, he fights that Nazi, kills him, and then makes it back to the tank. But in the but struggle, I think, dropped the gun. He drops the gun and head stomps the guy. Yeah, he does it like uh, that, dude. Like, um... That other movie there with the, you know, the Fight the Curb. Oh, American History X. Oh, yeah, that was so brutal. Yeah, that dude's head, po- it looked like Shia stamped on a, like, a green pepper or something. That thing yeah. just, like, crushed. It was another one of those scenes where it's just like, okay, they want you to, they want to burn this image into you. Yeah, head. and it did. It's still in there for me. Um, so he runs out of ammo, gets back into the thing, and eventually uh, suffers a headshot, like, yeah, he pops back up to say something to Brad Pitt, and as he does, he he's gets about shot to give him another right like, through the face. Yeah, he's about to give him another clip or whatever, and boom, like right through the fucking eyeball. Um, so these guys are dropping fast. Yeah, well, I mean, they're also like they're putting Nazis down too. I mean, out yeah, of three hundred, I mean, it looks like, like there's like forty five left at this point, and he goes. They're like, probably killing like twenty to thirty to one. Yeah, and there's one point where the uh, the commander um, of the Nazis in German yells. Um, we're going to skin you alive, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And not knowing that War Daddy knows German, he yells back, shut up and send us more Nazis to kill. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was so badass as he's just like, boom, 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 boom. That was badass. Cal. And it was, it was particularly satisfying because that Nazi leader guy also gets shot and dies. Yep. He doesn't survive it. Yep. Um, so then they are eventually overcome because of their straight loss of ammo that and then um and michael pena dies too gordo um how did he get they throw a or he's going oh, to yeah, throw yeah. a grenade yep. and he gets shot so he drops back into the tank and with him comes the grenade and so it's about to blow up and kill all of them so he throws his own body on top of the grenade to sacrifice himself to make sure that brad pitt and logan lerman's characters like have a chance to survive yep and um so now at this point they have about five bullets in a revolver yeah. left <laughs> and um the nazis are crawling up on top one of them opens up the thing and he and brad pitt boom boom blasts that one you know and they can tell on the outside that they're they're dead in the water you know so they're getting um they're crawling up and they're getting their grenades ready brad pitt shares this last moment 
with um, Machine at this point. And, uh, you know, he tells him, Machine tells him, I want to give up. I want to surrender. And he tells him, you know, don't do that. He says, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you real good. They're going to torture you, and then they're going to kill you. And, um, you know, at this point, the Nazis knew that they, they were fighting their last couple of battles here in April. Uh, Hitler knew that, obviously, yeah. as he, um, he supposedly did. took his own life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody, somebody was telling me the other day, they heard, like, a comedian talking about how um, Hitler was, like, the best dude ever. Because he's the only guy to have ever killed Hitler. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I guess that is true. You got to give him credit for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> if, if he did one good thing in his life, it was killing Hitler. Um, so he tells him, like, we can't do that. We're not going to do that. And he says, uh, you know, what do I do, War Daddy? And he tells him there's a hatch under the under the tank. He says, you see it? And Falls he goes, out the bottom. Yeah, he yeah. goes, yeah. He says, get in, get in there, like, you know. It's over, pretty much. Yeah. And um, reluctantly, Logan's uh, character gets in there underneath the uh, the tank, and he kind of bunkers down. And at yeah, that he's like point, scrambling to try and cover himself with dirt. And yeah. I could see, I totally understood that in that, like I empathize with that in that moment because it's like you're just like desperately trying to figure out a way to hide, and you don't have because he doesn't do a very good job of covering himself. And it at is all. life or death. Like yeah. there's no, uh, and you, the seconds, you know, there's people all around you that, that those surviving people that you just killed their best friends, you know, that's, yeah, it's they, that real. they want that revenge. And so you're just digging at the ground trying to get away. Uh, so, um, Brad Pitt also, uh, they dropped two German, uh, stick grenades down into the tank and Brad Pitt, you know, jumps on top of those much like, uh, Michael Penis character yeah. did. And, um, at the end, uh, you know, after the rubble's cleared a little bit um one of the german forces takes a peek under the tank which appeared to be a pretty young kid very young uh probably around uh logan lerman's around, yeah age. i think that's kind of what he sympathized and he saw this guy is just like me you know um and he decides to not say anything yeah he's he got a flashlight on. the nazi has a flashlight pointed at machine the the new recruit and sees him and he and Logan Lerman's character, Machine, he sort of puts his hands up and is like, please don't kill me. And the guy, somebody yells something to the Nazi guy and he just stands up and never says anything to him. And that's sort of the end of that. And then he he must fall asleep. Yeah, he, and he falls asleep for a bit because he wakes up and it's morning and he crawls back into the tank, you know, knowing that it's probably the safest place to be at this point now that the uh, Nazis have cleared out. And um, he, can hear he takes people. a peek at at uh war daddy and he still looks sexy as fuck like he's got those yeah, claws Brad, on his face he but like quit. no he you know what i did and that reminds me of another really random trivia fact um those throughout the whole movie shia has two like um oh yeah we'll get face. into that we'll get into that okay, once okay. we get once we well let's finish yeah, the movie we'll get into the the behind the scenes stuff but um uh eventually the the uh logan the machine is in the thing at people knock on the tank and he's got, you know, his last bullet and he's kind of, you have a, a thought of, is he going to take his own life or is he going to shoot this guy? And he points it up and, the, and it's an American soldier. And he says, you know, we've, the war's over. Like we're one, like, come on out. Like it's all done. You're going home. You're a hero. Yeah. That's an incredibly important line. I thought you're a hero. Don't yeah, you know you're yeah. a hero? So he goes, 
Um, the army comes to save Norman, and they call him a hero. But who are the real heroes of this story? Those who survived? Those who gave their lives? Or are, they, or are there any heroes to come out of this entire war? World War II was a violent and necessary war to overcome a dictator who lied himself into power and slowly and systematically separated the people, installing them with fear, hate, which led to the terror of a nation um, and leading to the deaths of over 80 million people or 3% of 1940s population um, of the world, not just Germany, not just America, the entire world. Global population. 3%. Um, just a little side note, you know, history could repeat itself. There are many things today. Yeah, yeah some of you start to see to see some of uh, things happening today really mirroring yeah. what happened. I also want to point out the the Norman transformation at that very end scene where he's pointing, he decides not to kill himself, but to point that weapon up is probably the very last step of his of his transformation from the delicate flower that he was when he started. A couple of days ago in this yeah. <laughs> tank to where he is now. And that whole transformation, I feel, is really the underlying story of what all went on here. You know, the entire movie. Yeah, I would say I would say it should be the A story. And then World War II just happens to be the B story. Yeah, that's what jazzes but, it up. Yeah, that's yeah. it really is about his metamorphosis from bookish, uh, nervous kid to... What is what he's described as a, a, from other people as a, a literal war hero? I don't know that he would use those words, but um, there, you know, it's there. People have put that on the table and yeah. said, you're a hero. And Norman doesn't say anything to the rebuttal of that. He's just simply, you know, shell-shocked, gets into the, uh, the vehicle and kind of, you know, disappears into the sunset. Typical hero um, stuff, which is, you know, just intense a little bit. You know, it's crazy. Just go through all that in the last couple of days and be like, all right, the war's over, go home. Like, Well, it's got to feel hard to be a hero. You know what I, th- I was thinking? I would If I had made the movie, what I would have done is... How would you have ended it, Dylan? I would have started it different. Oh, okay. Or I would have ended it different. I'm not sure where I would have put this. But Brad Pitt's revolver in this movie, through the whole movie, is a very... Uh, it's noticeable. It's a cult. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a classic. That specific grip... Um, is really rec- easily recognizable. Mm-hmm. And so what I would have either ended, I would have ended it this way or started it this way or some combination of the two where you see what must be uh, machine or Logan Lerman's character as an old man. Um, and he's got, the, he's got the cult and you can tell, see, that's how you know it's him, but he's basically like ignored, um, you know, Oh, no yeah. one the, the Alice in Chains rooster type thing. I'm yeah, probably. Is that is that the premise of the song rooster? Yeah, yeah. He he goes to war and comes back and they just spit on him and he becomes homeless and like no I wouldn't say that hard. I would just say I would tone it back. Not he's not like he gets spit on. He's just like nobody cares. You know, he's what just I mean? like sitting watching a window. You know? Yeah, or I was picturing him maybe like at a diner and like Kids are like laughing at him being like an old man in like a booth away. Why has he got the revolver in the diner? Like he's about this is about to be his last stand. Yeah, he's like he's you know what? (laughs) I fucking had it. No, I just figured you know he probably carries it with him everywhere or whatever. But yeah, just like to see some what he's gone through and these wild transformations that he made, just to have 
you know, after a period of time, it not matter, you know, and like people just don't revere him as this hero that, you know, at one point yeah. he was told he was. That's probably how I would have ended it. I, I, I support that. I think that'd be a good. Did I think you we ha- should write the, uh, I see the director. Yeah. Ask him for a cut. Let him know. You you messed up this movie. No. <laughs> um, so let's, I also wanted to, before, that that is the completion of the story of Fury. I know we're getting long-winded as, as far as the podcast goes, but. Oh, what's long-winded? The one I did with Ethan was like two hours. Oh, okay, cool. So I, don't, I feel like we're not filling up too much time here. I mean, it's a content. It's not like we're just filling time with stories. <laughs> yeah, it's just... like, it's all relevant. Okay, so Shia Buff went into a complete and utter uh, mental breakdown. Uh, He calls it an existential crisis, almost directly after this movie. Um, And I think a lot of his method acting played into this uh, very directly. I know he has a really rough childhood. He's got a lot of abandonment issues. His father was a war veteran. Yeah. so I think this this role kind of hit really close to home, and it was just that last piece of straw that broke that camel's back type of thing. Yeah, to really just push him over that final edge. Yeah. So some of the things that he uh, he put himself through to to get himself there for this role was uh, he went through army boot camp. He actually went through I can't find out how many, but he definitely went through at least two full trainings of boot camp um, Jesus. to get himself ready for this. And he wasn't the only one. John Berthold did. And um, Brad Pitt did some, uh, but from what a lot of people are like saying on the internet, it seemed like he just showed up and was like supporting the troops and then like just being like, hey, I'm here. Did like, some workouts out. and left kind of deal. Uh, but Shia like took it all head on and like got in there. You know, he asked for yeah. no special treatment whatsoever. And we see that all the way through his career, all the way up to this last movie, The Tax Collector where he tattooed his entire torso just for the movie. Insane. Like, he's all in every time. Yeah, so do you want to touch on the the cutting his face? Right, so, and I noticed, so I was watching, he did a Hot Ones interview. Yeah. And I noticed he had these two little, like... Equal sign. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's, like, cool or endearing. I guess I wonder how that happened. And then, sure enough, watching Fury... Um, he's got those scars like right on his face throughout the whole movie. So yeah. it's like, oh shit, he has that for this movie. Yeah, so he he cut it and he often reopened it because while in makeup, he was like, uh, he never broke character on the set while he was in makeup or anything. He he like told people to call him Bible and you know he went uh, very very method acting, which a yeah. lot of people you know think is super annoying, but um, very serious actors have said, even Brad Pitt said he was one of the most incredible people that he's ever worked with. And this was when he was 26 years old. Like, yeah. So he's one of the most talented actors he's ever worked with. Um, so he cut his face and he would reopen it because he said that the, uh, makeup during the scene didn't look real. He's like, after looking at it on screen, he didn't like it. And he just fucking cut his face. Yeah. And was like, I'm just going to use real blood. And he kept reopening it throughout a lot of the scenes and it, and, uh, it caused those pretty deep scar marks on his face that there are still apparent today. Like, yeah, yeah, see. they're easily noticeable, like, in that interview. So, um, in the previous episode, Charlie Countryman, uh, Ethan and I talked about, it was the same thing with, as, like, makeup, where in Charlie Countryman, he and Rupert Grant and another guy, uh, their characters all ingest drugs. And he was saying how, like, 
when you watch a movie where people like do drugs, it's usually like pretty goofy and not a realistic depiction of what it's like. Yeah, to do little drugs. green people and whatever, yeah, yeah. So he just actually ate acid before the scene, so no that he, way. so that he would have like a realistic rendition of like being high because he just actually was. Yeah, and I thought that was really impressive. I don't think I could act like that scene too. It's just if you haven't seen Charlie Countryman, you'll have to watch it. But yeah, he he goes all in, and it's. I don't know if it's someone I'd want to be around on set, but it's ridiculously commendable. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so the other thing that I looked up, because you actually brought it up to me before the uh, before we decided to sit down today, was he got his getting his tooth pulled. For the yeah. Event. And um, so some reports say that he filed it down himself, um, but he came out and he actually clarified that he went to a dentist, he got it all, like, you know, done legitly, and he put it, uh, he was the first, um, promo that he like posted for the Fury video was him toothless with an army hat on. And it just said, finally got a role I can really sink my teeth into. <laughs> That's incredible. I didn't see that. So I thought that was really funny, but yeah, he, he had it pulled, uh, the, the, the reports of him like yanking it out himself. I think they said in like John Berthold's dressing room or whatever, totally false. Um, and John will say it himself. He's like, yeah, he's like, it's a crazy fucking guy, but you know he's ripping a tooth it wouldn't go that far far. yeah yeah yeah. um but who's to say you know what's permanently scarring your face or tattooing your body isn't going too far as well so yeah he's he walks a fine line of what is what is over the line yeah so um during the whole course of it he also he became like really attached to the uh tank he was reported that he slept in the tank. He would eat in the tank. He like just loved to be in the tank. He was always yeah. trying to put himself in that claustrophobic space of the tank. Um, and one of the characters, I think it's uh, Kunas, is always spitting in the back, and he's you know he's got the chew in, he's got dip, and he's yeah. always spitting. And um, so off camera, Shia Buff asked him to stop doing that. And he was like, oh, like, it's just what the director told me to do. Like, I'm going to do it. And they got into a physical fist fight because of it. And so, like, this was the first of many fist fights that became, like, a thing. The director got into it and was like, oh, like, it wasn't like a, um, I'm going to fucking kick your ass, motherfucker. It was like he was in character, wouldn't break that character, and roughhoused him around. You yeah, know? didn't, you know, he's he's not Shia LaBeouf saying... Can you stop spitting on set? He's Bible saying, quit spitting in the tank. Yep. And so cameras weren't rolling for any of this though, but, but he <laughs> just, that's how he, that's how his mindset was for this. Um, Brad Pitt said that he fought him. Um, Brad Pitt actually said that a lot of people would fist fight on set after that, just because it would really get them into the mindset of just geared up being in that tank, being, having your adrenaline revved up and just, really going for it it's pretty like shia is no slouch like he's obviously a tough kid but john berthal is a scary dude yeah he's a big human being when they talk about fighting too they talk about his boxing experience and uh brad pitt says that uh out of all of them to fight uh michael pina is a pussy yeah (laughs) he says uh john berthal has real fucking boxing skills and really fucking hits when he punches you and um shia buff has a, a pretty flat punch, but his left uppercut, he says, is a is a doozy. <laughs> so I don't know if if Shia ever does come to 
Claremont, New Hampshire. I'll box him just to you, just to have this report. You hear that, Shia? Um, it's not a threat, but it's uh, you know, you can come box Alex Ferris. What a thing to we, get to do. We have an official ring. We'll both get COVID tested, and uh, no money involved. I don't even care if the cameras are there. It's just a just a gentleman's sport, really. I'm not, I'm not challenging you. I'm yeah, just saying, it's, yeah, I would like to take a left hook from Shia Buff, but I also don't want to just take a left hook from Shia Buff. I want to like. Box fight him. back yeah. you know i don't want to just be like oh dude i'm such a fan punch me in the face like yeah <laughs> but which i mean you know whatever um you can shy you can also come post covid like if you're not if you're not comfortable coming to new hampshire yeah what's that number again four seven seven nine four four three yeah six zero three four seven seven nine four four three and I'm going to be so pissed off if he does call and he talks to Dan. And, <laughs> and Dan doesn't set you up? Yeah. He's a real dick. Just says, oh, no, he never called. They're, um, like, texting each other. So after all that, he, like I said, that kind of was the straw that I think kind of broke the camel's back on um, on Shia Buff's mental um, instability. Uh, he said himself that he was going through a bit of an existential crisis. He came from a broken childhood and I think that this just this film really sparked a lot of those evil thoughts that he had. Buried, deep seated stuff. Buried already deep in there, yeah. So um shortly after this um was the the incident where Shia got arrested. And so I have a couple quick notes on it. It's not I mean it's a side thing, so we won't get too deep into it. I don't know if you want to do that on another no, podcast. No, let's get, but, let's get um, it. So he got a uh, he was on a plane back from, this is what I gather, he's on a plane back from uh, Ireland, and what are you doing when you're in Ireland but fucking drink whiskey? So mm-hmm. he was whiskey drunk when he got here. Wasn't it uh, like the World Cup, so he was watching soccer yeah, yeah, games? Yeah, 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 at a pub, and um, he was rooting, rooting for whatever team and loving it, and then um, uh, he gets to another, he gets to a bar, a second bar where he meets a homeless man who turns out to be a uh, war veteran. So he's jazzed up from this movie and he's like really trying to get this guy's story in a, in a, in a fan spots Shia and, and naturally starts, you know, asking for pictures or I don't know if he, if he was sounds, sounds like he was pretty obtrusive about it. Um, but he just starts snapping all these pictures and this war vet just kind of gets a fucking panic and, and takes off. So Shia chases him down I don't know if he, like, finds him or talks to him again, but, like, reports say that he chased him down, then came back to pay his bar tab. Um, while he was paying his bar tab, he met uh, an attractive gentleman, from what Shia says, uh, who was a dancer in the Broadway musical Cabaret, um, who invited him to the musical Cabaret on Broadway. So now we have super drunk whiskey fucking coming off of shouting at the World Cup to being in an opera setting. So you know things are going to be bad. Like, that's just a bad combo. I don't know, like... Somebody set that guy up. Yeah. During the... During the intermission, he ends up slapping that guy's ass. The guy got pissed about it and ends up calling the cops. The cops ask Shia to come to the back. Shia, all of a sudden, is cornered by six police officers and goes on a tear. Um, I don't know if he tried to fight one of the officers or what? I don't think Shia even really knows what happens, but he ended up spitting on a cop and spending 25 hours in jail. Not a huge deal, but it was enough for him to like really take a step back and 
do the necessary steps that it took to get his mental health back on track to get himself to where he is now. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. They show, and, and I imagine it's the, that particular scene in his life, but they show that in, uh, in honey boy, he's like in the back of the cop car being like, you don't know who I am. And like all this other, I assume a very embarrassing stuff to say. Um, but yeah, you know, God loves Shia. We're doing a whole podcast about him, but, and he probably meant it as like a good game type thing, but you can't sexually assault cabaret dancers yeah, and, and expect that it's just going to be fine. And I don't mean to stereotype, um, Broadway by any means, but I know that the Broadway population of males tends to be a little more towards the gay end. We're going to imagine those are, that's probably a homosexual man. Yeah. You so I think he probably was being a little flirtatious, feeling like he was a little bit assaulted. And I think Shia at that point was hammered drunk front row, Leonard Skinner hammered drunk <laughs> and just like, couldn't handle himself, you know, couldn't, he yeah. had, not, had a lot of shit to fucking deal with, and it was just it was not an appropriate setting for him to be in. But um, here, yeah, did you have any any other uh, any trivia facts that you want to let the people know about Fury? Um, just that you know I, we touched base on it being the the true film. Uh, I really wanted to drive the nail in about the uh, you know uh, the ending there about the. Uh, how do you say pivotal moments in the movie that led to Norman moving on to his uh, final form? I think that, uh, yeah, I think that that was, that's about it. How would you rate, uh, how would you rate the movie? How would I rate the movie or Shia's performance in the movie? Hit me with both. Shia's performance, I would say would 10 out of 10. He did he did phenomenal. I think for somebody like Brad Pitt to have to work with him and say that he at 26 years old is one of the most talented people that he's ever worked with. That's you there's undeniable evidence right there. Yeah, certainly. Um I the movie as a whole, I think could have stuck a lot more to the traditional story that that happened in real life, you know, uh I think that people when the movie came out, we're looking for more of that. I think it was Historical around the same accuracy. time of like um, a lot of these war movies where they, but like you said, there was this lacked historical accuracy. They, yeah, it seems like war movies often come out in like clusters. Like we just got like 1917 and Dunkirk and uh, uh, Midway. Yep. Uh, you know, all coming out at pretty much the same time. So yeah, they definitely come out in bunches, but um, yeah, I thought, I thought, Shia did absolutely incredible, and I thought it was interesting because I'm used to watching, like, Shia stuff where Shia is playing more of um, the role that Logan had, Logan Lerman playing, um, you know. So it was cool to see him, like, outside of that main, like, I'm the young person coming in, start, like, something like Holes, you know. And it's it's also interesting, the dynamic of the um, stars on this movie because, like we say, we got... We have names like John Berthall, we've got um, Brad Pitt, we've got Shia Buff, but who is the the actual movie about? Um, is Norman or uh, uh, Logan Le- Learman, which is at that point in time probably the smallest name on that screen, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, he did like um, Percy Jackson movies. Yeah, and then he'll go on to do the the show Amazon Prime show Hunters, 
but yeah, he's not, he's definitely like the, not only the young buck in the movie, but the young buck. And as far as those actors are concerned as far, yeah. I mean, he's working next to some pretty experienced names at that point. Um, so arguably you would say probably the main, the main person would be Brad Pitt, uh, like the star. Uh, would be Brad. He Pitt, has the but, star power, but definitely the the story follow would. But, definitely so, be but by the end of the movie, he's almost a supporting role. You know. Yeah. Um, what the only? I mean, this is kind of late in the game to be mentioning it, but I did think it was interesting. You can edit. You can yeah, edit I'm popping it back around. To the front. Um, how when they get back from um, in the very beginning, when they get back and that dude's their partner, their teammate has been killed. You don't see this again in the movie, but Brad Pitt is like, go do this. You guys do that. Like giving orders and then ducks around a corner and just ducks down and like holds his head and is clearly like super traumatized by the whole situation and not like doing very well, but hides it from everybody else. And they play that background kind of like ringing, ringing of the ears. And he's just got that, that look of just shock. But I mean, Two seconds later in the movie, you find the guy who's who's scrubbing the, the thing finds half of a fucking face right next to him. You know, he just traveled miles and miles with his dead best friend in his yeah in his you know direct vicinity. You know, he's got to have some kind of yeah. Well, I enjoy I enjoyed that they did that. I yeah, like, yeah. Little, they put a little, little bit of a character perspective on, on um that he can be at this point in time he can be a real hard ass, and two seconds later he can show that emotion. You know? Yeah, he's much not like, like John Berthold's character later on in the movie. He's not going to be like some John Wayne like. I'm just a badass. Like I've got, you know, like that's my whole role. He's speaking you know, he's, of John Wayne. Um, Scott. Uh, oh fuck! Hold on, I'll think of it in a second. Who's that? Uh, who Eastwood? Damn it, Clint Eastwood's son also. Oh yeah, in the movie. yeah, he absolutely is Scott Eastwood. There's, I, I watched an interview with uh, Scott Eastwood because. He was in a Taylor Swift music video that I liked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so he was saying. Which, which video is it? It's. Um, I stay up too late. No, it's. I know all the words to it. I can't think of the name. Um, what the fuck is the name of that movie? Is it more on the countryside or more on the pop side? No, it's. Yeah, it's on the pop side. It's off that album 1984. I'll just look it up really quick. But well, he play plays. Play a little clip under 30 seconds. Yeah, he plays like the. Ro- the romance guy um, in the video. And I was like, oh, who's this dude? And um, doesn't so I, look much like his father. He doesn't. So I was watching an interview with him and uh, he was saying how like he got into acting and like uh, is has been in movies and like worked really hard at it. But that Clint Eastwood um, notoriously did not help him in any way and would not help him. He's like, you want to do this? Let your career get Do yourself. what I did. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Even like, like um, the first truck Scott Eastwood ever bought, he had to buy with his own money from like working. Like, um, you know, Clint was just like, you're, you know, you're going to, you're going to figure this out one way or another. I'm not just going to hand you everything. Yeah. Which admirable, which it is super admirable, but probably so frustrating to have like a super rich parent. And they're just like, fuck you. Figure it out. You're like, what is the point then? Like, Come on, dad. This is so Scott Eastwood's in this. I'll show you the video. This is great for a podcast to be. Yeah. I'll, I'll show th- you this video. Real I'll show quick. you this Taylor Swift music video. Super good song though. See, 
I think Shia Buff um, should be in a Taylor Swift video. He's oh, in no, that who's Sia in, video. He's in that Sia video. Yeah, he fucking interpretive good. dances like his, yeah. his ass off with that girl from Dance Moms. Yeah. Um, what the hell is her name? I used to know. Maddie? Her. Yeah, Maddie Ziegler or whatever. She's yeah. in the other uh, Sia video too. Also, I think one of my favorite quotes of the movie is when they're talking about the dead horse story and then like Brad Pitt's character's like, all right, enough. And then like the, uh, John Berthal like mumbles something under his breath and then um, Michael Pena just goes, I'm drunk. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm just drunk. <laughs> I'm, just drunk. <laughs> I'm sorry. He like starts tearing up a little bit. Yeah. Well, I thought that one was pretty funny. But yeah, so I think we did it. I think yeah, we're I wrapping think we... up. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, no, not really. So, you know, some people do and some people don't. Like, uh, I did Accountable the other day with Duke and I was like, hey, do you want to plug anything? So he had a couple things he wanted to plug. And then I did Getting Buff, Charlie Countryman with Ethan. And as you know, Ethan's a rapper. And I was yep. like, do you want anything you want to plug? He's like, nope. <laughs> Buy my new album. Not even, not even your music. I want to plug, huh? like, no. plug uh, Nate Remus' new album. Yeah. album. <laughs> Arthur Woolly Mob. Um, the new Nate Remnis album. Check that out. Go on Spotify and any. So it's like, you, like it, subscribe it, listen yeah, to it, to play it for your friends. That's the only thing that I want to plug in this. Play album. it at your bar mitzvah. Yeah. Rip um, it. It's spelled. Let's see. N a h t e space r e n m u s. Um, he's got an album dog years out. Uh, he's got great some one. I've, I've listened to that one. I haven't yeah. listened to much on his new one, but it, but I'm supporting it. Yeah, he's also got the good days. Um, looks like the he's dog a, days, the good days. Yeah, he's got all kinds of days, all kinds of music. Here, let's play. Let's play a bit of a. Nah, we won't play a track. But um, also, yeah. um, we can plug this somewhere in there. But um. Uh, so when uh, the last scene, there's this part where he, where um, Shia Buff like looks up and he's just like, oh, what does he say? I gotta, I have to look that up real quick because then um, I'll tell you the the quote that he put for the the director. In the meantime, uh, we can run an ad real quick um, for our sponsors at Russian or Romanian Viagra. Um, let's play that ad. Hey, it's me, Russian Romanian guy with the Viagra, and my penis doesn't work very good. Oh, hey, I'm another Romanian guy. I got a Viagra for you. You can have it. Thanks so much. I've got a boner now. Please take a Romanian Viagra with caution and consult your doctor before using. All right, great. Uh, that was, what a great ad um, for Viagra, and they pay us a lot of money. So Shia, I don't even care. Don't come. Don't come talk to me. You're lost, pal. I'm getting that Romanian Viagra money. Also, check out Ethan Sumner's podcast, Romanian Viagra. He does his own podcast where he reviews movies that they do Romanian Viagra in. Oh, I haven't listened to that yet. But You'll have to check it out. I'm so missing. far, it's only Charlie Countryman, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm a fan. What... He he go he just like screams something and he's like he's looking at the at the camera with like such intensity, and like so the, there's a there's an English um, interviewer who's just like asking him he's like man what what did it take for you to like to you know just 
put it all on the line like that? Like, what did it take for you to like really this role to to sink in, sink in more than so many others? And he said, the director told me that I was going to die on this set. He meant literally and figuratively. So I went about it. Um, like it's the last thing I'll ever do in my entire life. And that's fucking, that's quote from Shia LaBeouf. It's pretty impressive. Um, I heard that he did it because he's a poo poo pee pee head and Shia. And if you want to come dispute that on the, on the show, um, you can come and let us know. Did you really say what Alex just said? Or did you say what I said? So why don't you come on the show and defend yourself? But that is a really great quote and a really good way to look at anything that you do. Really? Bible's name is also Boyd Swan. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf as Boyd Bible Swan. War Daddy, Brad Pitt as Don Collier. Who else you got? John Berthel, Kunas as Grady Travis. Michael Pina, Gordo, Trini Garcia. Have you? This is obviously for another episode, but have you seen Lawless? No. Super good. Another Shia LaBeouf is that movie. the is that the one of his newest one? Oh no, it's Tax Collector. Tax Collector is the newest one. Lawless is him, Tom Hardy, and another guy, and they're bootleggers, and they're like, Shia is like the youngest brother, but he comes like the the family that he's part of is like real like they're like the the family in the in like the area of, uh you know that you don't mess with like they're like yeah, the yeah, toughest yeah. dudes or whatever, and so it's Prohibition era, and so there's like a detective or federal agent trying to track him down. Really good though. And I guess they're based on real people, the Bondurant brothers. Did we did we get the life inspiring the real life inspiring ones on this go through or was that the first one that we didn't record? Should I say that little paragraph that I have? Oh, let's check. Like... Yeah, let me see if we got... We did uh, record that. It's at the beginning of this episode. Uh, I stopped recording, and so uh, we didn't say bye. So thanks for listening, and uh, subscribe to the thing, and follow it on Spotify. Thanks so much. Bye.